0: Hello, it's Richard McLean-Smith here. Season 7 of Unexplained will begin on Friday, July 28th. In the meantime, we're revisiting some of our favourite episodes. This week is one of my personal favourites. Back in 1958, Friedrich Jurgensen was recording birdsong in his garden when he captured something else entirely. The experience would change his life forever. With a title taken from a song by Peter Gabriel, this week's rerun is Unexplained, Season 3, Episode 9, Come, Talk to Me. Won't you please talk to me, if you just talk to me. Friedrich Jürgensen did not believe in ghosts, at least not in the traditional sense of something that had once lived somehow remaining after death, much less that the dead could talk. He did not follow any religion or pin his mast to any one political party, and neither did he believe in an interventionist god. He had seen too much for that. Jürgensen was born in Odessa In February 1903, then a major city of the Russian Empire and soon-to-be cradle of revolution. Though his family lived a relatively charmed life by comparison to many of its citizens, his formative years were nonetheless surrounded by misery, as he once put it, and it certainly wasn't lacking in drama. By the time he was 40 years old, Jurgensen will have fled from Bolshevik revolutionaries to Estonia, before later moving to Berlin to train as an opera singer under the great Italian tenor Tito Schieper. After a period of almost unrivalled sexual and creative freedom in the city, he will later watch in horror as a new Puritanism takes hold. While those not blessed with the privilege of being able to work in the arts, struggling under crippling poverty and unemployment, are drawn ever closer to the rising tide of fascism. Its subsequent fanning of a growing anti-Semitism leaves the Jewish Skipper no option but to escape to Palestine, where Friedrich will join him for eight years, swapping one war zone for another. Returning to Europe in 1938, Friedrich, now a successful opera singer, in his own right, makes plans to continue his career in Italy. However, after visiting his parents in Estonia, the cold climate plays havoc with his health and his voice, eventually forcing him to give up his singing dream. He returns to Italy soon after with the intention of becoming a professional painter, only to find war waiting for him once again. Unwilling to fight for a fascist cause and having no distinct nationality of his own to defend, Friedrich, whose mother was Swedish, flees to her home country. By the end of the Second World War in 1945, Jurgensen, who by now speaks 10 different languages, is 42 years old, married and finally ready to settle down. Incredibly, Despite all that he has seen and experienced, the most extraordinary moment of his life still awaits. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard MacLean Smith. It is 13 years later, and a now 55-year-old Friedrich has established himself as a talented portraitist and archaeological painter, admired even by the Pope. At some point in 1957, having spent many years working at the ruined Roman city of Pompeii, he accepts an invitation to hold an exhibition in its grounds. The magic of the place had infatuated him since he was a child, how it had once been forgotten, buried under fire and ash, only to be unearthed by chance and rescued from its violent end to stand once more as a testament to civilization. The author was made even more appealing when he was given the opportunity to work on site, establishing a studio in the House of the Tragic Poet, one of the more well-preserved buildings, elaborately decorated throughout, with exquisite mosaics depicting scenes from Greek mythology. But best of all was being granted a key to the city. As dusk settled over the ruins, long after everyone else had left, Friedrich would be free to wander the deserted homes and streets alone in the eerie silence. The quieter it was, the more fiercely he felt the ghosts fighting to emerge from the shadows. As he walked, he let his imagination drift. From a street corner, An exuberant shopkeeper emerges, measuring grain for his customers. Over there, a horse and cart trundles by, as robed dignitaries saunter behind, while the sound of children playing echoes through the streets. And if he listens carefully enough, from a distance, the fleeting roar of a crowd, packed into the city's amphitheatre, is carried on the wind and sometimes the imagining of the sudden explosion followed by a growing plume of ash, the darkening of the sky, and the billowing cloud of boiling heat speeding down the mountainside as the screams grow louder and louder. Soon summer is approaching and Friedrich's exhibition is coming to its end. As a final thank you for his work, He is offered the chance to fulfill a lifetime's ambition when the Pompeii Archaeological Commission invites him to take part in an excavation of a newly discovered property the following year. He gladly accepts the offer and returns to Stockholm soon after to begin putting together his plans for his next visit. Little did he know then, however, that he would not be returning to Pompeii anytime soon for something was about to occur that would change his life and understanding of it forever. In June 1958, Friedrich and his wife Monica travelled to their country house just south of Merlinbow, a small village located 60 kilometres southwest of the capital, Stockholm. The property, which backed on to a placid and tranquil lake, was as idyllic a country retreat as one could imagine. Aside from the main house, the property consisted of an old dilapidated hut by the water's edge, as well as a guesthouse on the fringes of a nearby forest bordering the garden, itself an enchanting mess of wild flowers and apple blossom. It was the perfect place to capture the sound of singing birds as Friedrich had long planned to do, but never quite had the time. This year, he determined to do it once and for all, making sure to bring his tape recorder down from Stockholm. After spending the day by the lake, it was sometime in the afternoon, with the local birds in full voice, that Friedrich retired to the house to collect the tape recorder, before making his way out to the forest cabin and up into its attic. Moments later, having rigged up a microphone, he slid open the window and pointed the microphone out of it. Just as a gentle finch came to rest on the roof, clicking the switch to record, Friedrich sat back in his chair and listened to the bird sing as the tape slowly unspooled from one reel to the other. After a few minutes, with the bird having taken off, Friedrich stopped the recording and rewound the tape. He pressed play and waited eagerly to hear what he had captured. But something was wrong. Though he could just about make out the merry chirping of the finch, it was completely drowned out by a blaring burst of static, as if someone had been taking a shower right next to the microphone. Friedrich made a quick check of all the connections and spun the tape forward to see if something was wrong with the tape itself, but all seemed fine. Repositioning the mic, he tried again. After another few minutes, he rewound the tape, pressed play and waited. But yet again, much to his annoyance, after a short period of quiet, the speakers blared out the same static hiss of interference. Since he could still just about hear the sound of birds singing In the distance, clearly the record function was working. But as he was about to switch off the tape, something else burst through the noise. It sounded like a voice. As he moved closer and listened more carefully, he could hear it clearly now. It was a male voice speaking in Norwegian about the sound of birdsong at night. Though it was a bizarre occurrence, the tape player must merely have somehow picked up a Norwegian radio transmission, he reasoned. Though it was certainly an extraordinary coincidence that it would be all about birdsong, he thought, as he made his way back to the house that evening. For the next month, unable to make clean recordings, Friedrich turned his attention to another pet project he had been working on, researching the fate of Russian princess, Anastasia. Though today it is widely accepted that the youngest daughter of Tsar Nicholas II and Tsarina, Alexandra Fyodorovna was murdered along with the rest of her immediate family in July 1918. In the 1950s, her whereabouts remained very much a mystery but as Friedrich tried to concentrate on the task, he found his mind continually wandering back to the strange recordings he had made weeks before. Though he tried a few times to recapture the peculiar broadcast, it appeared to have since come to an end. That was until one evening in mid-July. With Monica having now returned to Stockholm, that night, Friedrich was once again sat alone in the outhouse attic, trying in vain to capture another radio transmission. Since he didn't have headphones, he kept his eyes glued to the recording light for any sign that something was being received. But as the moon outside the window rose higher into the sky, with nothing to show for his efforts, Friedrich was beginning to get tired. Just as his eyelids were starting to close, the control light flashed red. That's strange, he thought, since all about him was completely still. After waiting for a few minutes, as the recording light continued to flash, Friedrich stopped the recording before rewinding the tape and pressing play. After a brief moment of light atmospheric sound, Friedrich was overjoyed to hear that familiar hissing roar once again. And as he strained to listen through the interference, once again came the familiar Norwegian voice. Tired but pleased with the night's results, Friedrich went to bed, returning to listen to the tape the following morning. Just as he thought, he had indeed captured the same voice as before, only this time something was different. It wasn't just the one voice, it was multiple, speaking in a range of languages, including English, German, Swedish, Italian and Polish, all crossing over each other, reciting strange and incomprehensible sentences. And then one other voice, a little clearer than the rest, burst through the static. Friedrich sat back in astonishment. It couldn't be, he thought. He stopped the tape and looked around the empty room. Satisfied he was alone, he spun back the tape and played it again. Friedrich, said the voice, you're being observed. Friedrich played the tape back again and again it was clear somebody was trying to communicate with him. Later, after hearing a second mention of his name, came a bizarre cryptic request. Friedrich, when you translate and interpret into German during the day, try to solve the truth every evening with the ship in the dark. Worried he might be losing his mind, Friedrich promptly played the tapes to Monica. As it was for anyone who would later hear them, It was hard to discern much of anything through the violent roar of the static, but slowly, as her ears began to adjust to the different frequencies buried within it, Monica too heard the voices. It was a strange predicament coming across this apparent phenomena so unexpectedly. Friedrich had not been looking for this, nor even spent any time considering it. He also had much work to do, not only preparing for the excavation in Pompeii the following spring, but keeping up with his commissions in Sweden too. But everything seemed suddenly to pale into comparison with what was occurring in that attic room on his tape recorder. Another set of recordings made soon after revealed yet more voices, but distinguishing between them all was near impossible listening to them being played back on the machine. Eventually, Friedrich bought a pair of headphones to better interpret just what exactly was going on. Now he was able to hear the sounds being captured as they were being recorded. It wasn't long after that he realised slowing the recordings down made it much easier to pick out the voices. But despite having accrued a number of similar recordings, he was no closer to figuring out exactly what they were. Naturally his first assumption and surely the only reasonable one was that he was continuing to pick up a number of converging radio signals, signals that are constantly travelling through the air around us, those mentions of his name just coincidence and a form of confirmation bias he thought. Either way ascertaining their provenance became his top priority. A few weeks later, having returned to Merlinbow, this time with his poodle Carino for company, Friedrich returned again to his attic room, plugged in the headphones and switched the tape player to record. No sooner had he put the headphones on, the peaceful atmosphere of the Merlinbow country air was suddenly obliterated in a blare of static. And before long, he could hear the voices coming through again mixed also this time with a variety of other strange sounds and music too. After listening for a few minutes, Friedrich heard the phone ringing downstairs. Leaving the tape to record, he headed down to answer it, escorted by his ever faithful Carino, who followed him closely behind. It was Monica on the line, just wanting to know how the day's recordings were going. With Carino sitting patiently next to him, Friedrich was just telling Monica about what he had heard so far, when his dog abruptly rose to his feet and scampered out of the room. As he continued talking on the phone, Friedrich heard what he took to be the dog in the attic jumping up around his chair before finally settling down in it. Returning to the top floor a few minutes later, sure enough, Friedrich found Carino sitting on the chair wagging his tail in excitement. Friedrich picked him up and placed him on the spare bed before returning again to the tape player. After a few more minutes recording he decided to stop and listen back to what he had captured. Having rewound the tape to just before the phone call he hit play sat back and listened. Once again came the heavy burst of static, and just audible, deep in the cacophony, he can just make out the sound of a telephone ringing. Next, he hears himself removing the headphones and pacing out of the room, with Carino's poor steps following close behind. Strangely, as soon as he has left the room, the hissing stops. In the ensuing silence, Friedrich strains to hear the phone conversation with Monica, but it is inaudible. So with nothing else occurring, he skips the tape forward a few minutes. Soon, the sound of his approaching steps can be heard as he returns to the room before opening the door and picking Carino up from the chair. At the sound of him putting his headphones back on, curiously, the loud static bursts immediately come back in. Unable to decipher the subsequent set of noises exploding within the interference, Friedrich decides to play the tape back again to confirm if the static had indeed only occurred when he was sat at the tape player. He returns the tape back to the moment he left the room and lets it play out. What he hears next changes everything. At first, he hears only the faint sound of his voice on the phone downstairs, when suddenly a peculiar high-pitched noise cuts in, followed by a male voice quietly humming the opening refrain of the song Valare, and then a different sound, Carino's approaching poor steps as he makes his way up the stairs, and then the sound of the door as he nudges it open. Just as the dog enters the room, Friedrich is stunned when he hears a clear, Italian-accented voice, whispering. Ah, Carino, do you hear me, it asks. Carino, do you know me? And in the background, he hears Carino, joyously spinning about on the chair, wagging his tail. Later in the autumn, Monica's mother comes to stay at the house in Merlenburg. Having left a tape recording during the afternoon, when Friedrich listens to it later that evening, he makes yet another astonishing discovery. At one point, he is able to hear Monica talking to her mother downstairs, when suddenly the volume of the tape inexplicably drops drastically. Friedrich turns the volume up as loud as it will go, and with Monica's voice just audible in the background, another voice suddenly breaks in, a male speaking in German. At Monica's, it's cozy, it says. And then another voice chimes in, again in German. I can see her. I hear her directly, it says. A moment later, the recording ends. Friedrich leans back in his chair in a state of utter disbelief. As the weeks pass, Friedrich continues to record and pick up the numerous disembodied voices, but grows frustrated by the lack of coherence and begins to wonder what is the point of it all. Worried also that he might somehow be the butt of an elaborate joke, he decides to bring an end to the experiments. But soon something else begins to occur that terrifies him. Although he is no longer listening to the tapes, he is still hearing the voices. One afternoon while resting in his study, as rain pours down outside, he is certain he can hear a voice in the patter of the raindrops. Then later he hears it again in the rustle of the burning fire. The voices seem to be following him everywhere. Concerned he is showing early signs of some form of schizophrenia, he reassures himself that he is otherwise healthy, not suffering any anxiety and sleeping perfectly well. One afternoon he is certain he hears a voice calling out to him. Listen to me, it says. Take part in the work. Having been convinced to return to his sonic research, Friedrich invites a number of friends and scientists to join him in his listening sessions. Though they are skeptical at first, they too start to notice the peculiar messages buried in the recordings. And though they are reluctant to speculate on what they are, all agree that they are highly unusual. Frequently, most of the voices are preceded by a female voice who seems to be instructing Friedrich on how best to hear the assumed communications. Eventually, he discovers that using a radio in close proximity to the recorder intensifies the messages, and that tuning to certain frequencies at specific times will work best. In January 1960, Friedrich receives the upsetting news that Boris Sakharov, an old friend from his childhood days in Odessa, had been killed in a car crash back in October of the previous year. Shortly after, Friedrich learns that Sakharov had recently become a renowned yoga teacher who also specialised in the instruction of breathing exercises. Moments later, Friedrich raced up to his study and pulled a tape from the shelf. Hurriedly, he fixed it into place and pressed play. The recording was one of a number he had made over the Christmas period and had been confusing him ever since. He understood it now. That sound he had heard when sitting alone in his room a few weeks ago had been a deep exhalation of breath. Hearing it again on the tape confirms his suspicions. At the time, he had heard the sound both in the room and through the headphones. He spins the tape back a little further and lets it play out. First, the violent cacophony of static blares out into the room. And then, from out of the chaos, come the words as clear as day. Your Boris is at the equipment. Over eight years in total, Friedrich Jürgensen will record 140 tapes containing between five to 6,000 different recordings of what will later become known as electronic voice phenomena. Being left in no doubt that what he had captured were the voices of the dead. Further reported voices included those of his own mother, as well as a number of recently deceased figures of historical note, including, in an odd twist, that of Adolf Hitler, and Winston Churchill. As a man of no little intellect, Jorgensen was more than aware of the many rational explanations that might account for what he had heard, with early satellite communications and radio transmission being the most obvious. However, not only did many of his friends and a number of scientists keen to find an answer for the communications hear them too, But often he would capture voices speaking single sentences in multiple languages, which would seem to negate the radio broadcast theory. Some have also suggested that the multilingual Jurgensen had somehow projected the voices onto the tape himself. What seems never to have been in doubt was Friedrich's integrity or the authenticity of the raw recordings. He died at the age of 84 in late 1987. Whatever we believe about Jurgensen's peculiar findings, perhaps we can take at least one thing from his experiences. When all you can hear is the cacophony of chaos, it pays not to turn away from the noise, but to take the time to listen to what might be buried underneath. Perhaps you too will hear the sound of voices just wanting to be heard. This episode was written by Richard McLean-Smith. Unexplained is an AV Club Productions podcast created by Richard McLean-Smith. All other elements of the podcast, including the music, were also produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, with stories never before featured on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones and other bookstores. Please subscribe to and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can find out more at unexplainedpodcast.com and reach us online through Twitter at UnexplainedPod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast.